Hello humans and anyone else who's listening. Um welcome to the Ship of Dreams podcast. Um happy new year. <laughs> uh happy third lockdown. Um So I wonder how everyone's doing. Um feels like uh, some wild energy out there lots of different f- opinions and information um about the virus and the vaccine and feelings about it and um i read a nice quote that was like we're all in the same storm but we're not all in the same boat and some people are in yachts some people are in dinghies some people are in rafts and some people are drowning and i think that's really speaks to this time um and i'm asking myself questions really um like how to find a way through this um how like is there a way to find some agency and community with each other um to build resources and connection rather than kind of be an antagonism and fear um and how do we shape our lives? How do we reclaim a vision for our own lives uh, rather than being sort of reactive to a floundering at best leadership and at worst a sort of malevolent, various malevolent agendas? Um, how do we reclaim that, that vision for our own lives and what are our values? You know, what's needed, not just for us and not just for each of us in our individual lives, but as a community not just a human community but a community of living beings on a planet that on a living planet in a living cosmos uh, what kind of world do we want to live in what kind of qualities do we need and value in our lives uh, these questions are really loud um, and I can feel a call to slow down and listen into the earth's voice inside me to some kind of more unknown places um and just to recognize the enormity um of the change which i think you know at some point this kind of enormous change was coming you can't go go about uh exploiting people and uh place in the way that that kind of white colonialism has without there being serious consequences at some point um and in a broken system like at some point something gives and it makes sense to be scared and angry and confused because the ending it's a death regardless of whether you're happy about it or sad it's still massive um, and it feels like like a time for visioning into a world that has meaning and connection again and recognises our inter- interdependence. And I think that the voices that have been ignored and shamed and silenced and suppressed and all the stories that have been, you know, pushed into the earth, into the dark, into the quiet places need to be heard right now. And that includes the voices of the voiceless and the non-human um and uh, my own thing is like god how to learn to listen 
um, and open to that. So that's my practice, like listening to that otherness both within and without. Um, Yeah, and today I, coming back to right now, um, yeah, wrap yourselves up, get yourself a mug of cocoa or herbal tea or coffee, decaf coffee in my case, and um, we'll read the last of the sacred site or the last of this section of the sacred site who knows i might hear the the next part of the story in the future um but this is as far as i as i go at the moment um and i'm just putting just sorting out my coffee I'm trying to take the podcast a bit easier, like slow down a little bit, be more here in my storytelling. Mm. Yep. Um, I'm sure that things are going to go absolutely crazy on the ship of dreams now we're back in lockdown. Because um, can't go anywhere. <laughs> just in a windless ocean listening to the sound of the wave and watching out for interesting creatures okay so to the ship of dreams we go um i gotta find it first here we go here we go and where did we leave them ah that's right they'd just broken out of hell's kettle and they're being led by Trabor into the into the sands to the place where the whisper or whispers started. It's taking me a minute to get to that point. This gives you a chance to get yourself comfy. How unusual to be comfortable in your body, (laughs) your beautiful body, in all its marvellousness that's carried you through your life to this moment. (laughs) Your beautiful body, mind, spirit, soul, neutrino, marvel. Okay, here we go. Time slowed in the sands. They covered their faces to evade grains lifted into the air by constant winds. Kaya watched Cyan struggle. He felt the effort of trudging through the shifting, sinking surface burn in his legs and knew it would be far worse for her. She was carrying something. Some invisible burden that grew heavier with each step. She did not flinch. She did not cry out, and he wished she would. Kaya wished for her to embrace him and confide in him her secrets and her troubles, but she was silent, and when they rested, she lay down and slept in the shelter of her father's bulk. All he could do was walk beside her, 
feeling the grip of her strong fingers on his arm. He tried to remain steady while scolding himself for his selfish longing to be close to her, to be alone with her. It didn't help that Trebor moved over the sands with relative ease. His presence was a shadow on their former intimacy, and his ferocity made Kaya feel like a child. Kaya knew his thoughts were the result of fatigue and loneliness. He did his best to remember the practices of his youth and to bring the soft, accepting faces of Rith, his birth mother, and the siblings of the Basan to mind. Soon it would be over, he told himself. The thought brought little consolation, for it seemed the doorway to such a great unknown that his heart hurt to wonder at what was to come. In his thoughts, a nagging dread grew as he played and replayed the whispers, their mysterious half-truths shifting and ominous like shadows in his mind. On the second day, Cyan fell. She fell and she did not get up. Trabor stopped and walked back. Kaya knelt by her side and said her name again and again. Trabor took off the long wrap of torso of wrong. Trabor took off the long wrap of cloth from his torso and bound it around Cyan's body, wrapping her like a fly in a web. What are you doing? She needs water and rest. Kaya said, "We cannot stay here." Our supplies are three days only. I cannot carry her. I cannot carry her. So I will drag her. If I cannot drag her any more, you will drag her. Southeast. You will drag her for another night and in the evening you will find the sands start to shift to grasses and stone and you will come to the Corbyne Sanger called the Severed. They are a pious bunch. Or they were a little lost in a love affair of distorted memories. But they mean well, and they are strong with the waters. So they moved together through the desert, Trabor leaning on Kaya now, his face chapped and torn by the winds. Cyan lay semi-conscious like a pupa inside the cocoon her father had made for her. Kaya poured water into her mouth each evening, and she swallowed it, although she would eat nothing. On the third evening, the ground began to firm under their feet and they could hear the cry of gulls and the rustling of grasses. Trabor collapsed. What are you doing? We're nearly there. They will come for us, Trabor said. His voice sounded too calm. As he said this, silhouetted figures bearing staffs appeared away off their long white robes flowing in the wind. The group of Colbyne siblings surrounded the exhausting tri- the exhausted trio. Hello, Trabor. Greetings, Andlo. I am surprised to see you here. What is left of me? I have brought to you my child. She has the sacred sight. She bears the marks. A whispering began among the people gathered around them. You have suffered much, Trabor. You have also caused great suffering. I am sorry to bring you the reminder. I never thought I would return.
On your last visit, you murdered your mother and father. You murdered two of your three symbios. You murdered two of my three symbios. And yet you come back here. You come back here to face me and you bring a child of the Gruig. She is my child. She is the child of our people, too. I walked my path, Andlo. Andlo. You remember the right. Andlo kneeled down and took Trabor's face in their hand. They looked deep into his eyes with a fierce pain only love could bring. You broke the right. Andlo let go, pushing Trabor's face away. You broke the right. Kaya spoke. Whatever is between you, we're not here for that. Sion and I have come from the Basan. We are here for the whispers. We are here to bridge the waters. Please. Sion is sick. She needs your help. Andlo turned away to the people. Let us bring them to the village. It was a question and it was answered. Hans took Sion's body and carried her. Trabor and Kaya followed. They entered a group of huts built of driftwood and mud block. There were narrow channels of salt water everywhere and small spiky trees covered in orange fruit and yellow blossoms. The air smelt thickly of citrus and sugar. The thick buzzing of insects in the warmth was a comforting reminder of home for Kaya. You will go to the right holders. We will care for the young people who walk in the path of the Whisper, but you will go to the right holders. Andlo said to Trabor, you remember the way. I remember, Andlo. Andlo, please. Andlo raised a hand. Go. Goodbye, Kaya of the High Mountain. Take care of my daughter. Go where she goes. And allow. Allow your softness. Your innocence, your love of peace. Allow your ferocity, your passion, your love of life. Cyan was taken to the medics. The hut was a canvas-walled structure with an open roof. Air blew in and moved the smell of herbs and sickness through the small and crowded space. Cyan was bathed and treated with rejuvenating tinctures and salves for her sores and for the self-inflicted scratches on her hand. The bone was exposed. Kaya could not bear to think of her in so much pain. She slept for three days. Her body was recovering, and she appeared to sleep well enough, but her dreams were vivid and exhausting. Kaya slept by her side on a mat on the floor. He would be woken by her wild gestures and incomprehensible murmurs. She woke herself too sometimes, shouting and grasping at nothing in the moonlit gloom. Each day she smiled at Kaya, but she did not speak, and she seemed far away and deep, like a snail burrowed in the depths of its shell. He felt her aloneness despite her smiles. He felt her making decisions without him. He tried again to make sense of the whispers. His brain felt heavy. Stuck and swathed in confusion. Destroy the key. No. When this thought came, he pushed it away. But it would not stay away. Was she preparing to leave him? Kaya too was holding secrets. 
had not yet told Cyan about her father's connection with the people of Allen. He had not told her Trabor was with the right holders and that he faced the three roads right as consequence for his choices. Kaya had hoped she would ask one of the medics, saving him the job of initiating such a painful topic. She did not. Perhaps she already knew in the way she sometimes did, and he did not need to mention it explicitly. Whenever he thought to mention it, the timing seemed off, or Cyan would turn and look at him, her eyes glazed, and take his hand, holding it tenderly as if he were a child. It was frustrating. Kaya did feel helpless and young. She needed his help, and he was failing. Cyan was deep in the dreaming. Each night she dreamt and dreamt. It was the same dream of the thread ripping open her marks and scars, of blood pouring out, and eventually, if she did not wake in horror before, of her body falling and falling down into the water. The ease of the falling, of the death, was so blissful she did not want to wake. When she did, it was with a guilty shudder, as if pulling herself back from the brink. Dying in a dream would not heal the chasm or bring or bridge the waters to Bira. Kaya and the nurses seemed faded, like figures from paintings that whispered and moved but were not in the same world. She felt sad to leave Kaya. It seemed hard to find love and then have to separate so soon. The pleasure of the right they had shared would never be repeated. Part of her was relieved. She did not know if she could do such things outside of a hallucination. She did not want to fail him. He would be angry with her and he would be hurt. But he would perhaps go on and find love again, back in the Basan. And that gave her comfort. To think of his sweetness in the world. She let go of the sweet, foolish dreams that had sprung up in her mind in the early days of their journey as bright and shocking as the first blooms of spring. Her naive hopes of a hut and even of children, of a home and of being shaped by pleasures new and magical that would run through her like warm fingers in soft clay. She couldn't access tears. There was only a weight, a remoteness. Nothing before mattered now. It was distant and she had no urge to reach for it, no sense of any thirst to quench, only the weight of her knowing and of the waiting. She waited and felt her legs grow stronger. She waited for the moon to darken so that she could sneak out and attend to her fate at the edges of the world. On the afternoon of the new moon, Kaya decided to visit the right holders, hoping to see Trabor and to intervened somehow. It felt good to do something. At least this way he would be able to tell Cyan something accurate and tangible and she would know he'd done everything he could for her parent. At the Basan, Kaya had an irrational deference to the right holders. As a child he had longed to be among their number and bear the great honour himself one day. Now he felt fearful. He had known of the three roads right of course. But in the Basan it was more of a myth. He did not envy these right holders the burden of the ritual. To make a right that could take a life seemed too great a power. He felt unease, coil and clench in his stomach 
as he walked towards the grey structure on the high mound. As he crossed over the fields, he watched the seabirds wheel in the air and heard them crying out. Here in Alan, the right holder's place was called the Palag. It was a high mound that looked out over the wild whispering waters and back inland to give a view of the entire peninsula. Unlike the Horga, this place was underground. Three huge stones carved with intricate geometrical designs formed an arch that was the entrance to the cave. Kai had seen the same marks carved onto the stones of the Horg. He waited at the entrance a little while, until, sure enough, his presence was sensed, and he was called in by a tall, thin right holder dressed in long grey robes, their face painted in the austere marks of the guardians of the dead. The cold struck Kaya and he shuddered. What brings you to the Palag, sibling? asked the right holder. I come to hear news of my sibling Tribor and to beg for compassion, he stopped himself. To ask for a staying of the three roads, he has borne consequence enough, surely. Bold words for a young person. Yes, right holder, you are right. I do not understand the suffering, yet you yourself have seen the man. Has he not borne consequence? He has. Will you take my request to your symbios? I will, but they will refuse. Trebor has chosen the right. It is not imposed upon him. You are young. Did not Trebor murder to free you from prison? Is that bent not still alive within him? And have the people of Allen had justice? No, no, it is not over. It will not be over for Trebor or for any of us until the three roads has been enacted. You will not see it, young one, but the ritual is not a punishment. It is not retribution. It is balancing. It is a lesson. It can be a gift to the people and to the perpetrator. A gift of possibilities. Meet with Trebor. It might reassure you more than my words. Thank you, Right Holder. The man led Kaya through the candlelit halls to a large chamber. At the sides were catacombs extending into darkness where the dead of Alan rested. A shelter and a warning. They passed through the chamber to another corridor and stopped at a curtain. In here, child, I will wait in the chamber. When you are ready, find me and I will lead you from the Palag. Thank you, Right Holder. Kaya dipped his head in respect and turned, pulling the curtain behind him. Trebor lay on a bed wrapped in a soft purple cloth. He looked softer until he saw Kaya and then his face changed. What are you doing here? I came to see you to try to help you. Help me? Why aren't you with her? Is the bond between the worlds healed? No, I did not think so. And that means you are in the wrong place. I'm sorry, Chibor, I thought, I don't know. Cyan needs you, I don't know what to do. She's so distant. Far away, I, I don't know what to do. You should be with her. That is all. I wanted to help you. I am here where I need to be. I am in my place again among my people. The right will hold me where I cannot hold myself. The people are holding me. This is my choice, my right, child. 
my chance for peace and make things right. I don't understand. Why would you choose this? You have already helped me, Kaya. And if you want to go on helping me, let me be in my journey. And go and face your own. Go and stay with Cyan. She is our only chance. Respond to the whispers. Rebuild the bridge to Bira. She's gone so distant, so far away, Kaya heard himself mumbling. And that is why you need to stay close. Now more than ever. Don't be so ruled by your young and fragile mind. You are bonded. She is your symbiote. That is a bond of the heart and the gut. Trust it and stay with her. Stay with her to whatever end. Do not make my mistake and run from yourself. I shouldn't be here. Then go. Goodbye, Tripor. May you walk in peace and ease. May the three roads lead you home. Goodbye, Kaya. May you be the light that guides us all home to Bira. They embraced and Kaya returned to the chamber. As he followed the right holder from the Palag, a growing clarity radiated in his chest, but was accompanied by a sinking feeling that, once again, he had recognised what was important too late. When Kaya got back to the medical tent, it was dark. He was not surprised to see Cyan's bed empty. Somehow he knew. He knew already that he had failed her in all his doubt and anxiety. The only hope now was to catch her. He followed the tracks into the grass that ran up the headland towards the water. Running through the darkness now, Kaya found the narrow track she had taken. He was not far behind her, at least. She moved slowly alone. The sound of the water was getting louder as the path began to descend. Stones and sand slipped under his feet, and he fell more than once. The air became cool and moist. The path began to level off. Kaya emerged from the scrubby thorns to a dead end with a steep fall ahead, and to the left a thin ledge that ran along the side of a vertical cliff. The drop was sheer. Far below, the waves crashed and threw up white foam that glistened with stardust. Kaya forced himself to edge out onto the path, the whole time imagining Cyan falling. He made himself cling on and keep going, shimmying along the thin shelf of jagged stone. It was almost pitch black. Without his sight, Kaya felt like a groping baby. His heart pounded so hard in his chest that he feared it might knock him off balance. At last, the rocky sill widened and turned again to a run, to run under a huge fold of water pouring out from earth into the chasm of sea below. Kaya saw the thickness of a shadow in the cave between the wall of water and the cliff. Cyan. He was about to cry out, but something stopped him. He did not want to scare her now. Kaya, is that you? Cyan whispered. I am here. He went to her, moving slow. She was standing at the edge of the cliff in a break in the falls. Huge torrents of water poured down either side of her. Please come back a little from the edge, Cyan. Just a little. I can't do it, Kaya. 
Yes, yes, you can. I can help you. Just take my hand and take a few steps back. No, I mean, I can't do it. I can't build a bridge. I can't become the key. I will help you. I'm here now. Cyan was quiet for a moment, and then she smiled. She stepped back from the edge and turned to face him, looking lighter, almost happy. Yes, of course you can help, Kaya. You can help, but... She paused. I'm sorry to ask it of you. Anything. I will do anything. Show me what to do. And as he said it, he noticed the knife in her hands. Where had she even got such a thing? Kaya began to step back himself now, and she came towards him and grasped him tightly in her arms. She had never felt so strong or so alive. No, Kaya said, not knowing exactly what he was refusing. No, no, I cannot. What What are you asking me, Cyan? No. Kaya, I, I, I am the map. Do you understand? I have seen it all in the right. You must pull away the thread that keeps these marks and scars closed. You must, must cut open my wounds. You must help me to tr- translate the language of these marks and become the key to unlock the bridge between the worlds. You want me to cut you, to hurt you. I cannot do it. I have tried. I thought I could do it alone. But, but, but I cannot, and I... And now I'm glad. I'm glad you were here to help me. To help me go. It's been a hard body to live in, Kaya. Help me free myself from this terrible web and complete my journey. I cannot do it, Cyan. This is not right. This is not the way. You will die. She was angry now. Then all of this will be a waste of time. My father's life. All that death, Kaya. I know it is hard, I know. But it will not hurt me for long. I've borne it before. The first time I had no choice. This time I beg you to do it. Pull the thread. She put her mouth against his neck. He felt her lips and breath and began to weep. They knelt together at the edge, the sound of the water like thunder all around them. Cyan held her arms out over the ledge, and Kaya, crying, stood behind her, the words of the whispers running through his mind like the water pouring over their heads. Destroy the map. You are the guide. Become the key. Become the key. And their right, the blood nectar, something was growing inside him. Some silent awareness was rising. Become the key, he said the words aloud, then gripped her elbow. Kaya honed all his fury and helplessness into a sharp and focused thing like the blade in his hand and began to cut. He cut the marks in turn. For each cut he gave her, he marked another on his own arm, a mirror. Of course, the mystery of the right unfolded in his mind. She was not the key. They were the key. He cut quickly and smoothly, numb with adrenaline. When he could not cut any more, she took the knife, understanding, 
and cut, turning her scars and marks into a river of blood, making the same pattern precisely on Kaya's own skin. They cut and cut and wept as they did. By the time it was finished, they were both weak and shaking. As one, they fell to their knees. Kaya closed his eyes and buried his face into Cyan's hair. He could feel the blood draining from his body, and he cried deep, heavy sobs against her. Cyan watched as the drops of blood fell. She touched Cyan's, as she touched Kaya's face and turned it towards hers. L- look, Kaya, look. Is it happening? Are they changing? Kaya's mouth opened and he felt like he would explode with wonder as he watched the pool of their blood mix with the water and run over the edge of the rock. Each falling drop transformed into a pearl of clear water and then froze and each frozen pearl became a tiny crystal and the crystals began to multiply. Crystals that spread out above the waves in all directions, faster than his eyes could follow, radiating light. It is happening. Then it is time to go. He laughed, understanding her this time. Cyan took Kaya's hand, and together they jumped into the mist and spray. The bridge of the crystals made from their blood, from their love rose up in a rainbow of colour to meet them and carry them into the unknown, to the land of their ancestors, to Bira. The end. So, curious, huh? What's going to happen next? Okay, so, obviously it tickled me as a reverent type of person that uh, it was a literal cliffhanger of an ending. Um, And um, basically I write where I am and uh, at that point, like from this point onwards, I'll find out, you know, I'll wait and hear what happens next. Um, And there's other, other work to do in the meantime. Um, I wanted to to share a little bit about some of the language in the story. Um, so uh, I was really uh, supported by Robert McFarlane, who I do enjoy his work. He wrote uh, Landmarks, which is like a dictionary of kind of older terms uh, about landscapes from different uh places and communities and languages like Gaelic and Cornish and Welsh and and so I I use some of the terms from that book um so halg which is the um the right holders kind of place and the burial site in the Basan means a nook or spur of land between two rivers Oh, sorry. No, Halg isn't is not the place of the right holders. The Halg is the spe- is the is the bit of land which has been cut off. It's the bit between Gruig and Bira. So yeah, a spur of land between two rivers. Um, the Dubhagen, which is the pool where they Kyra and Cyan meet and they 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 are bonded as symbios. That uh, Dubhagen means a deep part of a pool, also the pupil of an eye in Gaelic. 
I really loved that, like, this kind of sentience in the water. And it kind of speaks to the term seer as well. But I like the idea of the pool being the seer rather than a kind of human seer. Uh, Kulbien, which is the name of the, the people who live on Bira and also the Basan and the kind of more oppressed people who live on Halg. Uh, Kulbien is a cup-shaped whirl in a stream or eddy. So I wanted to have the Kulbien as being very kind of water-centric and like um, inflow, I suppose. And that's also from Gaelic. Uh, Hell Kettle and Catavothran, which I used interchangeably as terms for the prison. They actually have two separate meanings, but I really wanted to use them both. <laughs> uh, so Catavothran means a subterranean channel or deep chasm formed by the action of the wa- action of water. And that's a geological term, so I think that's used now. Still, subterranean channel or deep chasm formed by the action of water. And then hell kettle is a deep black gulf or abyss. Um, A name locally applied to holes or pools popularly supposed to be bottomless. And that's a northern English term, hell kettle. And I really love that idea of like, this kind of um, bottomless chasm. Um, which I think can be a place we have inside ourselves as well as externally. Um, so that, that felt very vivid for me. And this story originally, I actually started writing this story as a graphic novel about eight years ago. Um, and I was reflecting on kind of the... Oh, I had a dream, actually. Yeah, I had a dream about this kind of killer who was trapped in a prison and I wanted to give that killer some humanity in a story and like um and a different type of justice and I'll speak to a bit about that three roads because if I if I do hear the next part of this story and I really want to kind of uh explore the three roads right what that actually looks like and there is a possibility of death in the three roads right but that's not the only possibility as an outcome so I just want to be clear about that and also to be clear that I don't endorse capital punishment. I think it's fucking nuts. Um, but I like the idea of some kind of uh, choiceful, choiceful justice. Um, I'm sure that could be explored in great detail in, <laughs> in future things. Uh, so then the next thing is the Dornieg, which is the little stones that Kyra and Cyan use in the Dubhagen at the beginning. Uh, the Dornieg is a round stone that fills the fist when held. And that's another Gaelic term. Uh, Bira, which is the, the place they're trying to get to, the main home, the mainland of the Corbian people, is a land abounding with wells and springs of water. Which was, again, why I wanted to call the Corbian, um, what, the Corbian, because they're cup-shaped whirls of eddies in a stream. And I kind of wanted to, like, have their homeland as being this kind of very abounding place full of water where their the swirls and eddies could could live okay um then the gruig um 
I just needed a word that kind of I really wanted these like people to be aspects of the landscape basically like because I think that we're all like part of the earth you know we're made of matter we're imbued with cosmos and pumped pumped full of neutrinos every second from dark matter so we're such mysterious business and I really like like really wanted to play with that so the gruig is a pejorative uh for slope with a scowl or surly expression um i like this idea of a slope which had a scowl or a surly expression and i wanted to sort of give a name for the gruig that captured some of their mm. cruelty or oppressive stuff but also that saw them as sort of human beings that had a story that, you know, was messed up and behaviour that was messed up. So I like that term, Gruig. Um The Horg that the Horg is the is the right holder's place in the Bassam. So that's a cairn or burial site from Old Norse. Uh, it's the place where Cyan does her right and the dead are watching her and kind of celebrating with her. Uh, and Palag, which is the right holder's place in in for the sever the severed Alan, the end part, uh, is a lump on a hill as seen from the sea, and that's Manx, which is uh, like Isle of Man, um, and Alan, which is the name I gave to those people, is a piece of land nearly surrounded by water, so I kind of wanted to have that as a peninsula, which I really like. Then that's for Cumbrian term. I there is a term for. There is something, a meaning for the Bassan, but I can't damn well remember what it is. Um, I think it, it was something to do with... Um, a shelter, but also like a a basin. Um, but I can't, I can't find the definition of that off the top of my head. You might be able to find it on uh, Google, and if I can find it, I'll include it in a future a future podcast sometime I think I went through the whole book I couldn't find it unless I made it up in my head (laughs) which isn't beyond belief okay well thank you so much for listening and for those of you who've stayed with the whole thing fantastic um I hope you enjoyed it and um if you're keen to hear about the next part of it do let me know because it's uh it's always inspiring to hear from you so I'm going to do a little bit of a reading at the end just to give you something to take away um because I think we all need it right now. Uh, we're certainly walking an unknown road ourselves. And I think like that thing about being in contact with your vision is like visioning into the future you want and maybe at a very like immediate level. What qualities do you want in your life? What qualities are you putting out there? Um, you know, it's easy to get into sort of reacting and to all these sort of things that are beyond our control rather than kind of claiming some agency and creating a vision or visioning into or exploring or asking questions and listening um about what kind of future we want and that's hard work you know especially when you're fucking stretching to pay ridiculous like rent or not get your food or look after your kids or whatever other issues you're struggling you know cope with your own trauma and mental health issues and isolation and all this nonsense I don't mean nonsense but it is sort of nonsense isn't it? it's like it's not sensible in the sense as sen- as sensory beings we need comfort and connection and you know our mammalian systems have evolved you know to be vulnerable and connected um 
So this is a challenging uh, conundrum we find ourselves in. So yeah, I picked out these two qualities and interesting qualities uh, this week. I've got balance, which, <laughs> yeah, that's nice as a picture of a little figure on one of those round uh, exercise balls. But the ball's really big and his feet are off the ground, so I'm having to work quite hard to balance. And I think it is hard to stay balanced and to find your equanimity when all, when a lot of turmoil is going on around you. And it's natural to experience a lot of uh, shock and and it, it it can bring up memories of, you know, distress and it's hard to stay present and balanced and sort of hold yourself in that and ask for what you need and trust that you could get what you need. At least that you deserve it, even if you don't get it. And you do. <laughs> you do. Um, and then um, miracles. Oh, right. I know. So miracles is a tough one to work with, I think, like um but i really like it like and i like it in sort of if it uh, there's this great person who i'm really keen on i don't mean like attracted to <laughs> i mean attracted to energetically i find their work really um helpful and that's uh andrea schroeder she does this thing called the creative dream incubator it's really lovely really soft and tender and very loving and um anyway she has this nice thing where she puts the quality of miracles into like a little container like a like a basin or a cup or a whatever container works for you and invites miracles in you know and it's like it's time we started to believe that we can have a more just world um a world where we care for each other a world where we care for our environment and and in times like this you know it doesn't hurt to invite in miracles and to see them to notice the little miracles in your days um yeah the little miracles they can be helpful <laughs> Um, and you can soon. I'm I'm reworking my website and I'm writing um some blogs and stuff to put up on the new website, and hopefully they'll be supportive as well. But there's a post about a walk I took where I found like some really interesting things and it's these little miracles, you know, of connection in in such a disconnected um system, and you know to expand our 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 receptivity to change and to possibility. Not easy work to hope in the face of hopelessness right and i also took a card from um the next world tarot and i'm looking oh yeah um from christy c road and the next world tarot is great and we pulled the page of pentacles i love this card it's a picture of a woman who or a person let's call her a person them a person because we don't know it's not apparent it's a picture of a person um, with tattoos all over them in their little tattoo studio. Uh, quite a young person, but like fresh looking. And it says the page of pentacles represents the harnessing of agency. She's a seasoned visionary, yet initially stepping foot into territory outside of her humble beginnings as an isolated punk rocker. She's full of insecurities and possibilities. Ain't we all? Uh, so this speaks to that young part, like actually, and like welcoming that visionary as we step out into 
new territory where we feel vulnerable and unsure. As youth, we scavenge for belonging, and once we find it, we note its sacred quality. I like this, and I was talking to my good friend Sophie McGovern, who's a a great writer and thinker, and she was saying something about uh, that belonging isn't sort of a something you have to find. It's like you you have it, like. <laughs> She said it in a nicer way. I can't think of it. It might come back to me. Anyway, leaving the subcultural nest or whatever safety net you led... Oh, leaving the subcultural nest or whatever safety net led you into adulthood is daunting but necessary. The Page of Pentacles asks you to step in with conviction. This is the fruit of your work and the threshold into your calling. I love that, your calling. And it's like, what is calling you? beyond whatever's familiar or safe or whatever and i like this idea of subcultural nests like leaving your subcultural nest um because i think it is really easy to get like caught up in sort of safe places not that there's anything wrong with having safe places that's really important too um but like if there's part of you that wants to expand and explore more yeah that's daunting okay all right well i hope this is supportive and I wish you miracles and balance this week and love and enough of what you need. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you matter. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> you are of matter and therefore you belong. <laughs> However uncomfortable that might be. Um, not easy. Um, yes. And thank you for listening as always. Uh, bye for now. I'll be back.